Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Yes, welcome to our retro Anatomy of a Movie, where we take a look at a movie that for some reason we haven't seen, but we've now watched for the first time. I am Christian Black, joined as always by Happy Cappy. Happy Cappy's here. Uh, also known as Alexa Capiella. Yes, also known yeah. as my real name, Alexa Capiella. And I don't know what runs with Rachel, so I'll just say Happy Rachel. Hey, happy guys, Rachel. I'm Happy Rachel. Nice to be and here. And we're all happy to be here. Uh, talking about the 1960 version of The Apartment, there's another version of it. There's a more recent one. There's a and there's 2015 like a, yeah, version. Yeah, which I uh, still haven't seen that. There so. is? I had no idea yeah. about that. And there's also, a I guess... French version, but I don't think it's the same thing. Is that called Le Apartment? Le Apartment. <laughs> yeah, just again. Yeah, there is a Broadway musical as well. Promises, uh, promises. Yes, promises, which, promises. Which I'd heard of before, but uh, also hadn't seen. Right. So I've seen one of these things. Unfortunately, it's the one that we're talking about today. Where we always like to start with all of this is the Ooh, big picture. Look at that photo well, of I mean, the apartment. Yeah. The 1996 drama mystery. This is something else. It doesn't okay. seem like the same yeah, thing. It's definitely but like a romance for those watching on YouTube, we do have a photo of what is a very classy one sheet uh, yeah. for the 1960 mm-hmm. version. Uh, so let's start off with just overall thoughts and why exactly it is that you don't think you'd seen this movie before. I'll ask you first, Rachel. So I think I actually had seen this movie a long okay. time ago. So this was basically a fresh viewing for me. Okay. But as I was watching from an adult perspective, um, it one, it did not, I, I loved it, but it did not scream romantic comedy to me. Mm-hmm. I think some of the jokes that were supposed to land and might have landed for a 1960 audience, was they, those jokes weren't going to land for me, but it actually helped to make the movie even more of an enriching experience. And it even, like, I just felt like the characters were very relatable. Sure. And it didn't matter that this had happened, you know, this is, go, this is what, 60 years ago now? Uh, yeah, 60 years ago. Yeah, math. Math, yeah. math is hard. I'm like, wait, that doesn't sound right. But I'm like, wait, it's 1960. This is 2020. Yeah. Hold on, mm-hmm. carry the one, mm-hmm. two, three. 60 two, years yes, ago. 60 years ago. And yeah. I could still relate, regardless of the dated you yeah. know, times, I, I still related to these characters. It's the same thought I had, that the story... Yes, of course, everything that happens in here, you know, I mean, technology, just lots of that stuff. Yes, that's very dated and very set in what I guess we're told is 1959. Uh, But yeah, the story in and of itself, it it, it kind of works. Uh, I think uh, 60 years later, uh, men are still cheating on their wives and saying that they're this close to getting divorced. And, uh, you know, very easy to, you know, get swept up in, in the workplace. And, you know, there's so much to it that you're like, yeah, this this isn't as dated as it looks. Mm-hmm. You just scratch a little bit beneath the surface. You're like, yeah, yeah, this this all could really still happen for the for the most part, except for a, a taxi in New York costing 70 cents. I mean, and, that and rent costing what, uh, $85, 85 a month. Dollars and a month. it had only been $80. A I month. am real depressed. Well, about that. He, and he lived in the in the West 60s. On the yeah. So I know West I, I, I say. I know where he lived, and I'm like, oh, a very rich you, area. Yeah, yeah, you can't. I mean, you legitimately can't have dinner for eighty five dollars in that neck of the yeah. woods. Yeah, it's like very, very like yeah. super ritzy. Your like those townhomes are immaculate, and yeah. they just look like very old money. Like that's the best way to put it. 
Uh, Alexa, your thoughts on the movie and uh, what you were sort of going into it, what the expectations were going into it. So going into it, um, I knew, I already knew, I had heard this movie talked about uh, quite a few times over the years um, by just random people. Uh, Everyone always seemed to love it. And um, I heard it was very funny. Mm -hmm. And I uh, heard that Jack Lemmon was in it and uh, Shirley MacLaine. And this show is very pro-Jack Lemmon. Yes. Yes. This we is are. not. This is not our first Jack Lemon entry. We, <laughs> we haven't done that many of these. Some so. like it hot. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I had heard great things. I just obviously never got around to to viewing it because it's an old movie, and I'm not that old, you know? It's just don't look at me. I'm not that old either. <laughs> this was an old movie when I was well, born, just like when you guys time. were born. Yeah. But I am, I'm honestly, I'm honestly so glad that I watched this movie. Um, it was really good. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And there's a lot of old movies where I'm like, oh, I just, just come on. Like, they're slow paced. I don't relate to the characters as well. And this one, I loved Jack Lemmon's character. I really, really loved Shirley MacLaine's yeah. character. And I could relate to her. Not that I participated in infidelity in any way, but just her, her love plight. I was like, oh, girl. I see you. But, I get you. Like, <laughs> But you have spent a lot of time going up and down in elevators. Yes, So that's yes. probably how you relate um, The infidelity in the movie, I was talking to her about this prior, um, it was, it's supposed to be, it was supposed to be funny. Like, the whole context of it all, of it all was supposed to be funny and lighthearted. Sure. Um, but I do remember watching it and just feeling a lot of pain. Sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. The yeah. amount, just the sheer amount of infidelity going on in this movie was just very, very painful for me to watch. And we were discussing how back in 1960, perhaps uh, people would have taken it. Actually, I was reading up on it and there were very uh, differing points of view here. A lot of people loved it. Some people hated it. Uh, the people that hated it actually criticized it for it being really distasteful. Yeah, the bad reviews that it got were, mm-hmm. were sort of that and I think Billy Wilder had wanted to make a movie like this in the 40s and I guess the Hayes Code being what it was at the yep. time they they couldn't make a, a light romp about infidelity in the 40s but then by 1960 which is so funny because I think the way that we think of the world in like the late 50s it's almost like the way that the world was represented on television, you know, and it was just, it was like, oh, so sweet and idyllic. And somehow little Ricky came about despite the fact that Lucy and Ricky slept in separate beds, you know, still don't understand how she got pregnant, <laughs> you know, but uh, it's just, it's just a reminder of like, oh yeah, all, all this stuff was going on. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you have to figure, you know, just in a, a huge company like that. And this, this is exactly the sort of thing that, was was going on then? It's probably it's going on. You know, probably just as much now. Uh, I just uh, I, I think that the attitudes towards it are probably the most outdated, but not in the way where you're like, well, this is unrealistic. So as I was watching this, it reminded me of the Disorderly Orderly. If you guys have seen that movie I'm with not. Jerry Lewis. It's but I have a, seen Disorderlies with the Fat Boys. I don't think that, that no, ties into this no. at all. So okay. the Disorderly Orderly is actually from 64. So it was after, you know, four sure. years later than this movie. But same idea in 64. It Everything that was happening, I mean, it's Jerry Lewis. It's supposed to be a comedy. But same situation. There's a character named... Um, so C- you're trying to tell me that Jerry Lewis had a less than original idea? 
for a film that he well, did? No, You're saying it's like the same. No, 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 oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. It's 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 different. Okay, so it's a different premise. I see. But it's the same in that there's a woman named Susan um, who comes in, and she reminded me a lot of Fran yeah. in the sense that she was very, very depressed and mm-hmm. very hurt by a situation where she had been with somebody um, who basically dumped her and yeah. didn't really want to deal with her anymore. And so watching Shirley MacLaine play Fran, it felt like the characters felt very identical to me. And I think that in the 60s audience, I think that to them, there were certain things that we were supposed to see in more of a lighthearted way. But it was the same thing. I ended up taking more away from the apartment and from the disorderly orderly just from it trying to be kind of comic, but actually landing more seriously to somebody watching this in 2020. Mm hmm. No, I think I think all of that makes sense, and yeah, I think that you know it's definitely played off. It's like, well, you know, that's that's business, that's the world of of business, you know, and uh, I, I think that that is, I think that just says a lot more about where we as a society were at, at that point. But it was like every single man in that movie was cheating on his wife, except for the neighbor. What, what, <laughs> like yeah. Every single By the way, man. that we know of. It was so flippant. And also, uh, uh, Baxter uh, didn't have a wife, so he couldn't cheat on his wife. <laughs> and if he were married, he may have wanted to cheat on his wife. We and don't know. they were making it more about bosses at the company. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what the average Joe is doing. Right, the guy at the right, desk right, next to him earlier in the movie. That, they even he, made a joke about it. What, uh, what was it? Jack, uh, uh, Bud Baxter said, what, what was it, percentage-wise in the company? That's only, what, like a small little percentage yeah. of guys as opposed oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole company overall. Can I just say that I loved the way that they pulled us in, in a st- from a storytelling perspective, Learning this character, I understood Baxter oh, yeah. within a minute. Yep. Yeah. I was they like, wow, this was clear. Mm-hmm. Because at first, like, I was like, okay, is he, what's up with this guy? Is he just BSing us? But then as soon as, and this is when we were just hearing the voiceover, and I had yeah. to actually, like, fact check him, because I was like, I don't believe anything anymore. Yeah. So I was fact check, fact checking for that time. And then all of a sudden we saw him, and we saw how serious he was and how genuine he believed what he was saying to be, you know, and how, you know, it felt like you could trust him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I don't need to fact check this anymore. I can just believe that what he's saying is true. But right away you're like, oh yeah, this guy is a very small cog in this enormous machine, you know, down to the fact that, you know, the work day for his department is determined, you know, what did he say it was, 850 to 520, because yeah. you can't have everybody using the elevator at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So, I could definitely understand his plight and how easily he was able to be uh, manipulated like you know all he wants to do is move up in this company and and yeah. and, and make a, make more money and just be successful and he's just taken advantage of left and right sure. and but was, but also willing to do whatever it takes to move up you know and, yeah. and it didn't take much uh what were you going to say Rachel just that if i had to take a guess Obviously, Billy, Billy Wilder was making this movie as a social commentary on the workplace yes. in yeah. the night, or you know, late 1950s, early 1960s. And if I had to take a guess, this is just his way of making a statement of how people were moving up in the workplace, not necessarily by renting out their apartment, mm-hmm. but by doing by giving certain favors to the big boss. What's interesting is that the movie that I watched prior to this, like immediately uh, prior, was. Bombshell. Oh, oh okay. that's a great movie. Yeah. So same realm, except different because of yeah. course it involves women. But it's you know, 
women being taken advantage of in the sure. workplace as well. And it was, uh, honestly, I saw the parallels immediately. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Same concept, <laughs> yeah. though, because it was literally, if you look at Margot Robbie's character, yes. she advanced by giving certain favors. favors. Yeah, to Roger Ailes. Exactly. So same exact situation, just different times. Different and times. And honestly, who's to say that wasn't happening to women in the background, too? Absolutely was, I'm sure. Right. I mean, you have to you have to ask the questions of, you know, the, the women who weren't the telephone operators and, you know, were the actual uh, assistants. I mean, even Fred McMurray's character, you know, yeah. he had previously had a relationship with his secretary. His, his, yeah. his secretary. Mm-hmm. You know, did she work in the elevator before that? Was she in the phone room before that? You know, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I think that it is, to your point, Rachel, Billy Wilder making a very specific social commentary. But it's also, I think, on a, on a class level. It's like, yeah. these are the bosses who are all doing this. And we don't meet a lot of people that are at Baxter's level. You know, I mean, we barely get to know the guy who sits next to him. He has a couple lines. Mm-hmm. But... It, you know, and because he's single, you know, it's not really the same thing. But I think that it, it's really that's the focus is like everybody on this level is doing it. But the fundamental question to ask, even in 1959, 1960, that sort of pokes a hole in this. How much did a hotel room cost at this point? <laughs> First of all, no one you're not going to be traceable good, because no one people didn't use credit cards nearly as much at that point. People paid in cash. How much could it pot? And I'm talking about like know- a nice hotel room. I have an answer to that question. Okay, great. Okay. This is my... I, so, I don't think that a hotel room would have cost that much, but the problem is you would be seen. And okay, yes, you fair. have to go and find... You could probably find a hotel room that you would be away from people, but you never know. True. And I think that was the stigma associated with it. And plus, I would guess that if you're a female at that time, you don't want to go with a guy who has to get a hotel room. You... you there are they're giving this pretense of being a man who happens to have his own apartment mm-hmm. and so they're not the other woman but if you're the female being taken to the you know hotel room that implies oh no this man's having an affair you're the person you're his mistress I thought most of the women were aware of uh, the given circumstances I don't, well, I, I, I don't, I don't know all of them but yeah I think you're right I think for the most part they because if this you is know. the office they have to assume that they're already married you know well like, yeah the one woman she in the beginning with one of the bosses had no idea um, and he was you know the one boss was just saying oh yeah like I gotta go and he wasn't giving her a direct right. reason mm-hmm. I do think some of them knew though mm-hmm. and obviously Fran knew yeah 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 yeah. no no I mean Fran was very much aware of the situation because of how sort of beaten down by the situation she is you know it's a lot of like you know I know I you have to go to get back on the 714 train to White Plains I have to check to make sure there's no lipstick on your collar, you know, so it's like it's all that sort of thing. And, you know, to the extent that even when he is leaving one time and she's almost she puts her head down, is like, well, you can't kiss me. You know that because you're going to get lipstick on yourself, you know, and he's like, ah, yeah, good girl, good girl. You know, so, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, if there's the time to get to know all these women's stories, you can assume that some of them didn't. But for the most part, you're seeing that. You know, not all these women come from the workplace, but you do get the impression that there is plenty of that within the workplace. You know? Yeah, but even the random woman that um, Baxter took home, right? She's just like, my husband's in war right now. He's blah, he's blah, in blah. he's in Cuba. He's because, in Cuba. He's, and then there's other. Yeah, I mean, th- that that would be one of the care. more dated things in Let's, the movie is the you know he's like, well, he got caught up in the revolution, and she's like, yeah. And you know, by the way, that the, that <laughs> accent, that character <laughs> so, is in so many movies. I where know. 
just like, oh, that's how she talks? Okay. <laughs> no one else talks like that. But, uh, yeah, I know. I thought that... The I, women, I'm not just saying the men were flippant about it. The women were, too. It was just everybody was like, yeah, infidelity. That's just something we do on Sundays. Yeah, well. It's like, it's <laughs> like, like we that, go to church and then we cheat on our significant others. Right. It's like well, the, women, the women aren't cheating on anyone. Yeah, well, the, there's a lot of imagery that, uh, you know, because in, in Mad Men, especially in the early seasons, they do have the phone room of, of uh, phone operators. And they, you know, they don't tend to have women that run the elevators. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the visuals are, are very striking. And I know my wife worked for uh, Matthew Weiner, who created the show. And uh, this film, uh, let's see, I think The Sweet Smell of Success, there's a few that the sort of the imagery of what workplaces looked like were very important to him that he wanted to capture. And, and yeah, seeing the, the phone room was like, oh, yeah, that's right there. It's in the Mad Men pilot, it, yeah. you know. So, uh, yeah, and it just, it, you know, that's more of a modern commentary on a time that it just seems to be, you know, it, it was widely accepted. And it doesn't seem like any of these women are married, except for the one whose husband is, you know, in, 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 the, in prison for not liking Fidel Castro or something. But for the most part, it's just they're just excited that a man is paying attention to them, and I, I unfortunately that that part probably isn't entirely you know uh, untrue now, and it, it might not necessarily be untrue twenty years from now that there's still plenty of people who are like oh yeah yeah he's married but whatever, and then of course you have these men who are all sort of joking about like stringing these women along I'm like well yeah you know obviously I'm gonna you know I, of course I'm gonna get divorced and the. Uh, uh, Fred McMurray's character's assistant, the the secretary who just explains you just how many and like oh and he says the same thing and he goes to the same Chinese restaurant with all of them. So it's very unimaginative. Just so bombshell. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> what I loved is that we got to see Mrs. Olson, the secretary, mm-hmm. and yeah. that her interactions with Jeff the, it's it's it spoke volumes to me. And just the fact that she really to me this is all the apartment is really about characters bubbling up to a point where they make a decision. Like some movies, you see characters arc and they make decisions that then lead to something else. But to me, the main characters, and even if we include Mrs. Olsen, you know, a tertiary character in this, yeah. the main journey was that last like climactic moment where we had three people making a major choice. We had Mrs. Ol- Olsen, you know, who got fired, deciding she was going to go tell the wife the truth. And then, you know, obviously we had Baxter's character deciding he was not going to give away the key sure. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that... I was proud of him. Yeah. That moment. yeah. I was like, yeah, stand up for yourself. Yeah, but I just found it very interesting that that was another thing that really, um, just watching the characters not react, mm-hmm. and even as passive as some of them were... Uh, it was still, it just kept me very focused on what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can see why this movie is beloved from a performance standpoint and just sort of the... And a writing standpoint. Was say, the, the, and, and some very smart writing. And then it's also, it's just, it's funny because if you've watched enough uh, older television, there's, you know, beloved actors like Fred, Fred McMurray's McMurray. the dad from My Three Sons, yeah. Ray Walston's the Martian from My Favorite Martian, you know, and, and, and he's in South Pacific, you know, he's in He's in a million things. So these are all people that it's just like, I don't know what the timeline is in terms of when those shows were. I think they were after this. But it's just like, oh, yeah, these are just, you know, terrible, you know, guys that are just work very, very determined to cheat on their wives. Fred McMurray was al- already very famous. He had mm-hmm. done Double Indemnity. Right, exactly. Yeah, like he was just, as soon as I saw him, 
to me, it was like the 1960s version of if you turn, like the way that they zoomed on him and kind of did it very gradually. To me, it was their reveal as if yeah. we were turning and seeing a guy like, you know, Tom Cruise or something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, to absolutely. me, I mean, not that they would play the same type, but it's that reveal of seeing somebody super it famous. It didn't win Best Cinematography, but it did win, win for Best Film Editing um, for the Oscars. Um Actually, uh, if Ryan, if you could pull up that uh, picture again of him in the office, um, that was actually shot in forced perspective, which uh, you guys probably know what that means. But uh, basically, it's an illusion of the mind. It makes you think that things are a lot bigger in terms of the office itself. It makes it look like it's a lot uh, further back. But in reality, the desks are just getting smaller and the people inside of the desks or outside of the desk are getting smaller as well. In fact, in the very, very end, they actually had kids oh. at the desks oh, that's at the cool. very, very end of the uh, shot. So he wanted to make the office look endless, but he didn't want to you know, make this massive set. So that's how they got around it. And in terms of the apartment itself, he didn't want it to look like a grandoise no. apartment. He wanted it to look like a small little bachelor pad. And he did that by making a lot of clutter. And I thought they did a really good job with the set design in the apartment. And I was actually very um, intrigued watching uh, Jack Lemmon's character uh, interacting with the things in the apartment at the time, I was like, "Oh, that's what a 1960s sink looks like," or that's what, yeah. you know. Well, and then the, when you see the old light switches that aren't switches, they're the, yes. the one button and then the other button. Yeah, and my grandmother's TV, house had those, and, and yeah, the TV how too. it like warms up at first, yeah. and yeah. the picture gets smaller. Yeah. The, the uh, remote uh, over here where he just like would click it like a little light switch. It was so interesting to me. Yeah, no, no, I think that uh, visually, and and look, I mean, you can have gone in apartments in Manhattan yesterday and seen them, you know, look very. Very much like this. Sure, there's the technology is a little bit, but you know that you know obviously this is a set. But if that were a real building, probably still standing, and you know a lot more than eight hundred. Sorry, eighty five dollars a month. A lot more than eight hundred and fifty dollars a month as well, though. Uh, so I did want to talk about the performances before we talk. We talk more specifically about the awards. Um, I think we've sort of established that there aren't particularly strong women characters in there, but Fran is a character who we see get strength a couple of times throughout the course. And I think on the whole, it's a great character. But most of the other women, I mean, other than, you know, his his assistant, uh, his, his secretary, who only really takes a stand when she gets fired, you know. See, I Disagree. actually have a different perspective. Yeah. I think that... Uh, Fran is actually a very strong mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. in the sense that all the times when Fred, when Jeff could have broken her down, yeah. she handled it very like like with dignity and yeah. with grace and with a strength that you know any someone else might not have been able to handle that and would have gone to the wife or would have gone like you know maybe cr- you know crying or screaming or like you know just kind of like causing a scene whether a man or a woman but the whole point is that I feel like she was very strong and Mm -hmm. that the way that she even handled things even her decision to take the sleeping pills was very quiet and was very like you know internal and I think that I think that she was strong the entire time Um, but I do think that obviously her making the decision that she's not going to put up with Jeff anymore obviously that's a revelation and that she has grown but I think that she was strong the entire time. Yeah, I think that 
really it's more uh, in reference to the other female characters that she's really the only one that we see, you know, other than, again, the one moment for the secretary. But the uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly understand that. I just was seeing the portrayal as the fact that she's, you know, unable to stay away from him. And, uh, you know, she does try to kill herself. Well, that's that sort love, of thing. Bud. Well, apparently. <laughs> and, you know, and love is like a drug. Okay? I, I, I guess so. Look, I've, not, I've never I, I've never had Fred McMurray in well, my life. And so. look at it like this, too. Baxter said mm-hmm. he tried to shoot. He was going to shoot himself yes. for the same reason. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. So Which, in by fact, the way, he did shoot himself what, in the knee. Yeah. Wasn't sure I believed his story at first when he first started telling it. I think it was just like I'm trying to make you feel better. Yeah, I tried to kill myself. Once. But but then it, it's, it's see, very funny. Yeah, yeah. And we do see a gun in the end. And yeah. I feel like maybe parts of it was maybe fabricated, but sure. I do think that that part was. Well, weird. I think that they did a really good job setting it up. Um, you know, because look, this is a point where. The happy ending isn't 100% guaranteed. There are movies from an earlier era than this where you're like, there's no way that he's going to kill himself in the last scene before she gets there. But it wasn't out of the question. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, I don't think so. But they did a great job where, you know, when he opens the champagne bottle at the end, when you're like, no. And and my first thought is like, okay, he did try to shoot himself, but he missed and they're going to laugh about it somehow. And here's the thing is that obviously when you see a gun... It has to go off, or there you, there has to be a reason why you're bringing sure, a gun yeah. in the scene. So I thought when we saw it that it was kind of a throwaway moment where it was like, okay, well, this is one of those times where it's the reverse gun <laughs> because we already had him tell the story. But when they had the champagne pop at the end, I was like, oh, now that is clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. Thought it, I thought it was very clever. And uh, I can imagine, a, you know, a 1960 audience, you know, just like, Wait, that didn't just happen, did yeah. it? You know, I I genuinely couldn't believe that they touched on things like suicide and yeah. uh, in this movie uh, in particular. Just the fact that it came out in 1960s and they were touching on something so controversial is yeah. really beyond its time. I mean, at no That's time why- at no time does the word depression said. I don't think that people talked in those terms, but it's very clear that it you know, and it's through external causes. It's like you don't you know we don't know what she was like before she met Jeff. You know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that Scary. was what surprised me, that it was dealing with you know, these very sophisticated concepts that look are real life, but you usually don't necessarily find in a lighthearted comedy from 1960. Yeah. And that era, too, it was pretty much, you know, going along the lines of depression. If you were upset about something, it was pretty much expected that, okay, well, if you are going, you're sad because you're dealing with this. Okay, yeah. it's over. Become happy now. Like, like get, like, get over it. So I feel like with the way that they were presenting this, I'm sure it was, they were very limited to how they could portray sure. depression, but with, with um, Fran's character, the only time she really smiled was at the end when she made the decision to go and be yeah. with Baxter. And I think that what they were trying to say is that the only reason she was sad is because she was dealing with Jeff. And so I do think that it was less a commentary on what depression is actually like because yes. back in 1960, they were very limited to how they could portray it. Well, think about how Baxter handles being upset at various points in the movie. He just drinks heavily, which yes. is yeah. also the 1960 solution. For if, you <laughs> yeah. don't, if something doesn't feel good inside, you drink a lot. Yep. Um, also seen in Some Like It Hot. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So there's uh, no, you know, there, which there's... Which Billy Wilder also directed. Also, yes. And they, this he is, was I think really beyond his time. Definitely. Before his time, I, I definitely agree with that, yeah. 
touching yeah. on things that they weren't talking about in 1960 at all. They no, it's just it, like, it, here it is. And, and they're like, in, whoa. In, both, in the case of both films, you're like, I'm surprised that one, these films got made, and two, were well received. Yeah. You know, because uh, you can understand, you know, from, you know, even a, a movie about infidelity comes out today you can understand there'd be a contingent but especially then you're just like yeah they're just sort of having having fun with this idea you know and it's like you know and then Fred McMurray's like oh yeah well the wife fired me you know yeah. and it's like, oh, that's what happens I'm at the athletic club now yeah. <laughs> um, before we run out of time I do want to talk about how the film was received and that's something that we always like to talk about yeah. uh, so I know Alexa you have some of the uh, awards it was nominated for uh, and one, uh, I have some of the other nominees, but uh, you go first, and uh, I'll chime in with uh, some of the stuff I have. Well, it won Best Picture mm-hmm. uh, and Best Director, which uh, all they were both uh, Billy Wilder right. and, and Best Writing, and Best Screenplay. This is one of those ones where it's impressive. Not the, so much Best Picture, because the other nominees are The Alamo, Elmer Gantry, uh, oh. Sons and Lovers, and The Sundowners. The but great. Best Director... <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock, Psycho, did not win. And also The Sundowners and Sons and Lovers and then uh, something called Never on Sunday. But the fact that it beat Psycho is just like... How did it beat Psycho? It was probably seen like a genre movie, you know? It's just like, oh, that's like, you know, it it was seen like a little bit more... (laughs) It was was probably seen more frivolous than some of his other films, you know? I mean, it it was much more sensational than... Uh, you know, then just off the top of my head, you mentioned Double Indemnity, North yeah. by Northwest. You know, those are much more sophisticated films than this, than, than uh, Psycho. Yeah, and my guess, too, is that this was also on the risque side back in 1960. True. And so I think that Psycho. Some, yeah, but, like, I think that something like The Apartment, you know, being... Um, you know, going off what Christian said too about it being more of that kind of not indie because it wasn't independently produced, but maybe more of like a 1960 indie feel with that risque element. Um, less on the you know psycho side, right? <laughs> I suppose. Uh, so what el- what else were uh, winners uh, and nominees? Best actor uh, Jack Lemmon was nominated but did not win. Lost to Burt Lancaster for Elmer Gantry. So, Interesting. You know, not, not, not a slouch there. Uh, Spencer we- Tracy also lost. Lawrence Olivier lost oh. for The Entertainer, and wow. uh, Trevor Howard for Sons and Lovers. Those were all the uh, other losers. Sure. Shirley MacLaine was nominated for Best Actress. Wow, but she, lost. she she won for Best Supporting Actress. It is what it should say, shouldn't it? Oh no, yeah. it says that. Well, she was what nominated. it says here is that she won for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, oh. you know, it's, it's Shirley Jones. Wrong, uh, wrong, yeah. Shirley. wrong Shirley. Shirley MacLaine did not win. Elizabeth Taylor won for Butterfield Eight. So uh, that you know, it's it's hard to beat Elizabeth Taylor in at, at, at the height of her powers. Yeah, I think she might have only been on her second husband too. <laughs> and when you have eight or nine, sometimes you end up talking about it as part of your. Legacy. by Shirley or she said she lost to Elizabeth Taylor because of her tracheotomy or something like that. Oh, so Shirley McLean wasn't able to campaign for it because she had a tracheotomy? Is that No, that's oh. all she said was oh. that she lost because uh, Elizabeth Taylor had a tracheotomy. Oh, because like, uh, okay. I don't I don't I don't understand I don't know, what that means. It's probably a joke. I don't I, know. That must maybe be, yeah. maybe something in the movie that she yeah. lost for anyway. Well, sorry I didn't trust your research. It's I just fine. I, you know, there's not a lot of Shirley's out there. <laughs> uh, best supporting actor Jack uh, Krushkin. Uh, uh, nominated, but oh lost. yeah, it's Doctor Dreyfus, yeah. which I, oh. look, he's good, but I'm like, really? Yeah, why oh, would they nominate was... him over the boss? 
is a little weird to me. Oh, over over Fred McMurray. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, Fred McMurray was much better. But you know what? <laughs> it, it could be as simple as that he didn't submit himself as supporting actor. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's he's a big he's a big movie star. He, he didn't care about it. Well, there's that too. <laughs> Best yeah. cinematography, um, Joseph Lachelle, a nominated, nominated. but did not win. Hmm. Um, also, this was like the last, this is the last uh, black and white movie that uh, I think won. Best picture, oh, yeah, except best picture. for... Uh, the Artist. Well, no, The, the Artist, artist but on. also Schindler's List. That was going to say right. Schindler's yeah. List. So those are the two since, and those are in the modern era. That's, modern era. Yeah, this is at a point where, obviously, by 1960, you know, the black and white movie was far less common than it had been because, I mean, we just talked about several Hitchcock films that are in color, even though Psycho wasn't black and white, you know, which was done as a, a tonal decision. So, yeah, the fact that after 1960, there's only two black and white Best Picture winners and it was done as a very specific artistic uh, decision about the story that they were telling. Uh, yeah, so it is It is kind of, it has a great distinction in that way, that it is, uh, you know... It won Best Film Editing and won Best Art Direction and Set Direction, which I, I can agree with, but what, are, what were the other nominees for uh, editing yeah. and... Set well, edit a film editing that it won. Uh, it beat the Alamo, Inherit the Wind, Pepe, and Spartacus. Wow. That's impressive. Oh, wow, we beat Spartacus for anything, really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then what was the other one? Set design. Set design. Set I don't, decor. I actually don't know that the they've got art direction, uh, cinematography. I wanted to go back on that. Oh, it yeah. lost to Sons and Lovers, uh, a film called The Facts of Life, Inherit the Wind, and also Psycho. But Sons and Lovers was the one that won. And uh, you were asking me about set design, and I don't think it's on my list. Sorry. What's Usually I have a, I have them all, but not that one. And we were talking about um, reception. Uh, I found this little fun fact where Mac- McMurray relates. Uh, so the boss, the guy that played the boss, relates that after the film's release, he was accosted oh, by this. a woman <laughs> in the street who berated him for making a dirty filthy yeah. movie and then one of them hit him with a purse. <laughs> See, I, when I read that anecdote, I thought that it was going to be more likely that, you know, which, look, can still happen today, but just assuming that he was that person in the movie. Yeah. That's what I thought it was going to be, but yeah. it's like, no, you're an actor and you, you were in a movie. You this dirty movie. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it did well and and look, it, it did well at the, the Golden Globes and the BAFTAs that year, so it, it was a very highly decorated film and it is, uh, it is considered one of the best films ever made uh and it it, uh you know it it was incredibly successful and we did talk in the beginning about how it inspired the musical promises 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 Promises. so and yeah i mean you can sort of see like this story lends itself very much to a musical of i was thinking that when i was watching it i i thought this would be an amazing stage production because really honestly you're in two locations which is ideal and the characters are so tight and it's just it's it, it would make a very very good stage adaption and but it needed more songs, apparently. Where's Burt Bacharach with some songs, uh, <laughs> well, as, as Promises Promises they were, All-Star Revival began in 2010 with Sean Hayes and Kristen Chenoweth and Tony Goldwyn. Yeah. Of, of Promises Promises, right. Promises yeah, Promises, yes. so. Uh, all right, well, I, I, um, I wasn't sure what else. Oh, my gosh, I knew what I wanted to ask. The most important thing that we always talk about, Does it hold and we, up? we've we've led, we've uh, alluded to it, and that's why I forgot. But we didn't actually answer the question, so we very specifically want to answer the question: Does the apartment hold up, Rachel? Yes, absolutely. 
And I would not want to see this film remade just because I don't think you'd recapture the magic that they had. No, even if you remade it and for some reason you set it in the same era, which is also like, well, then why would you remake it? But yeah. when you want to talk about pointless remakes, we just talked about Psycho several times. Mm-hmm. And there's the shot by shot Gus Van Sant Psycho remake with Vince Vaughn yeah. and, and Heche. And don't. all of those so words dumb. coming yeah. out of my mouth don't make any sense. But it all ha- it happened. It, it really did. happened. Uh, what do you think, Alexa? Did the apartment hold up? Yes, I believe it did. I had a great time watching this movie, and I would watch it again. Yes, I uh, I did also agree that uh, even though the subject matter is not always fun, they did manage to tell a fun story, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with some very real problems. And just the idea of the way that he, the the doctor and the doctor's wife thought of him and the way that, you know, the, the goings-on of his apartment. Door. It was all just like, oh, you know, you look like a nice boy, but uh, we hear what you're up <laughs> to. I'm lead grad, yeah. but really, you're a jerk. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I have to say it definitely holds up. And uh, as with uh, the last few weeks when we do this, uh, when I told my wife which movie I was watching, she's like, oh, my God, I love that movie. So <laughs> she's, seen, she's seen so many movies before she met me that uh, uh, I have to catch up. But anyway, I really enjoyed it. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, wa- you know, if you're watching the archive version in uh, the YouTube chat, or you can always uh, reach out to any or all of us on social media. Rachel, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Rach Goodman or on my author Instagram account at Rachel Radner Author. You can also catch me on the Stumptown, Narcos Mexico Season Two, Outlander, Doctor Who, and Curb Your Enthusiasm That's panels. Right. Uh, and her enthusiasm uh, is with me, so yes. that one you really have to catch. Overachieve. Yeah, right? Just kidding. That's awesome. Uh, and Alexa Capiello, where can people find you? On Instagram, currently. Just one place. Just one place. But, but where do they At find you? Alexa Cappy. I'm sure I'm going to be on more panels soon, but for right now. As soon as Barry comes back. As soon as Barry comes back. Uh, And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ and you can find me tomorrow Thursday at 1pm Pacific here on Popcorn Talk for Marvel Movie News and then in the evening at 9 Pacific over on AfterBuzz TV for the Star Trek Picard After Show and already mentioned Mondays at 3 for Cobra Enthusiasm with Rachel. Uh, We will be back next week back at our regular day and time of Tuesday at 3 uh, until then, uh, we will see you at the movies. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.